Hello, this is Steve Spar, your host for SQ Unplugged, Conversations in Spiritual Intelligence. Spiritual intelligence is the ability to act with wisdom, compassion, and peace in the stress and pressure of the real world. Each episode of SQ Unplugged, I will talk with an SQ21 certified coach, which was a model developed by Cindy Wigglesworth of DeepChange.com. We'll discuss the challenges of how to be spiritually intelligent in the midst of modern life. Hello, welcome to the SQ Unplugged podcast. I'm Steve Spar, host, and I'm here with Lois McNaughton. Lois, how are you? I'm good today. How are you good. doing? Fantastic. I feel good. Lois is an SQ21 certified coach. Please correct me, but I believe you're living in Calgary. Yes. Alberta. Yeah. Wonderful. Lovely country up there. So our companion way up north, let's talk a little bit about spiritual intelligence and how that shows up for you and uh, what's going on in your work. Because you do work as a consultant with organizations. How is SQ showing up right now for you? One of the things that's really been showing up, and I think it's an increased uh, presence with leaders, is um, dealing with empathy and struggling a bit with um, the level of caring that they've come to, to be able to have for, for the people that they work with and um, struggling a little bit with having to do difficult things, uh, having to tell people that they don't have work or they're not getting work that they had hoped to get, um, having to work with them around um, help trying to get them to build their capacity, but then not really wanting to tell them why they think it's a problem. So there's almost a little bit of being almost too nice and, and not really knowing how just to say what they need to say. So um, I know that- Are these leaders who used to do it the more hard way, the more ego-centered way, they, knew, they know how to work in the world of form, but now- they're having trouble, what? Because they're, they're in some development or transition. It's now yeah. harder for them. Yeah. And I mean, the development's been wonderful, right? That, that move into empathy is really, really beautiful. But then getting in a position where you can't say something that you need to say because you're worried you might hurt somebody's feelings is a very difficult place to be. Um, I can give an example of uh, a leader who had been kind of a lone wolf and brought in to have a team and developing empathy was really, really important. And then he came to a situation where he had a person who wanted to apply for a posi certain position and he knew she really wasn't qualified to take on that position and that he was going to have to tell her. But we did like several coaching sessions around this issue for him because it was really bothering him but helping him to understand that a shift to a more compassionate way of looking at it would be good for him and it would be good for her. So having him look at down the road a year when he was gonna to have to do a review of her work and eventually have to tell her that it wasn't good enough, that that would just be prolonging the pain for himself for a long year. and. He, that put him in a position where he could look at, well, actually, I need to do the right thing for her, for me, and for the company. 
and I can, and I can do this comfortably now and, and not feel like I'm being hurtful. That is really interesting. I mean, in some ways, of course, we want to see businesses and business leaders develop a more empathic um, ability to communicate, to connect with their workers. We know that's necessary for worker engagement. Uh, and so we're seeing that first step, but maybe it has to be a two-step because if you don't find some way to bring along the way to have them understand that, no, 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 you can be compassionate and still get things done in the business world, then we've somehow lost something. Yeah, yeah. It's, and, and I was sort of connecting this to, um, because one of the other things that we talk about is that they connected to development of empathy and compassion is the ego self and the higher self. And in the ego self, the, uh, being a very protected place. I mean, the ego's whole role is to protect us. Uh, and so if we get very protective and close ourselves off, um, then we're not in an empathetic place with people. And then, but on the other hand, like what you're talking about is if we move into this very open-hearted uh, space where there's no boundaries, uh, it's a very hard place to be because then we're in a place of no protection. So how that other step, as, as you said that, I'm thinking that other step is to help people under, almost understand that polarity between protection and connection. And how do I move within that polarity? Because it's not an either or, it's what's appropriate for this situation. That's very interesting approaching it as a polarity, not as compassion is always good or compassion always looks like this. If someone's kind of new to empathy, they see the benefits that they start working with their team, they're feeling more uh, open, maybe in their personal relationships too. But then they think, oh, well, I've got to therefore sacrifice this business stuff because empathetic means nice or means soft or can't make hard decisions. That's really... Uh, maybe a first level understanding, but not a deep understanding of what true compassion is. Yeah. And so our work then being to help them understand at a deeper level and, and, and grow the muscle to, to be able to work with this in a, in a more comfortable way. That's a deeper form really of spiritual intelligence. Yes. Because if spiritual yeah. intelligence doesn't work in the world, it's not, it's not a very good, it's not very intelligent. <laughs> Well, its value isn't very high if yeah. we can't apply it. Right. I mean, we've got to be able to show people. I mean, if, if what we're trying to bring to the world is in fact valuable, um, then we've got to be able to communicate it to people in a way where they see its value at all levels. Yes, you might feel more personally fulfilled operating with more and more from your higher self, but it certainly doesn't mean uh, throwing out aspects of ego self. It means growing up those parts of your ego self. Very much, very much. It's, it's interesting because um, I've, I've been noticing this, like in a, not in a workspace, but in a personal space of uh, having to deal with holding more for people and having thought that with all the work I'd like been at hospice for nine years, dealing with suffering and death and thinking that I was doing fairly well on the compassion front and my ability to hold all of this. 
and through COVID and through interactions with friends and family, that's been getting stretched. And I'm, I'm really having to watch where I am in that polarity because when there's too much openness, it gets really heavy and it drags me right down. And uh, that having to work to move myself to a more centered place um, where I can be there for them, but be there for me at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the bringing of the model of polarities would work really well. So I don't think it's either or, and it's a rubber band that I'm bouncing back and forth from. Because uh, actually, when you think of that, that's on one level, just one like a number line. And I just either I'm a negative two or I'm a positive three. And no, it's in these polarities. There are these different ways that you have to and criteria in each of the quadrants that help you manage when to go more to the right, when to more, go more to the left. Yeah. And it's like you said, use the rubber band uh, analogy, but I had this almost this image of people bouncing around in a pinball machine, you know, because it's like this happens and then that happens. And there's just this reactiveness that occurs Mm -hmm. and how wearing that is for people. Yeah. You said something interesting. So tell me about the, which I didn't know about you. Tell me about the hospice aspect. Is that service work that you do? On, on outside of business or is that part of your work? Oh, it's a volunteer position. Right. Yeah. Um, and I started that nine years ago and it's being with people who are in the hospice and, and they're dying. Um, but just being with them, sitting with them, talking, reading to them, getting them things. Uh, and it's, it, get forming a relationship and that depends on the individual, how much, how open they are. Uh, but there are lots of conversations with people, um, sometimes conversations that they can't have with their families because the families are too vet invested in what's going on. Um, there's also been learning to deal with dementia, um, which is something that frightened me when I first went there. But then having these fascinating conversations with individuals, and again, that's a struggle with their families because their families want them to be who they were. Mm. And I didn't really know who they were. You're a fresh person. They can just talk to you. And (laughs) there are things they can't always divulge. I think the, the dying person actually is afraid of certain burdens on the other parts of the family. I'm really amazed that you're doing that work. I also, for about the same period of time, I've been doing hospice work as part of my personal service work as a volunteer um, for about the last nine or 10 years as well. And I have found it, it's interesting. I find it extremely rewarding. And I really think sometimes I actually get more than I give. I feel like I'm invited into these intimate moments in people's lives and I'm fascinated and rewarded by it. Yeah. And it's like the the gratitude for doing that. And there's also how it, in, in that being of service and it just, it removes me from which sort of, you could call them issues, but they, they look so simple in, in uh, relative to what's going on for these people. And it just lifts me completely away from myself. 
Um, it's not that I'm not paying attention to myself, but I'm not worrying or focusing on myself. Yeah, it's very much, I mean, I experience it as, I, I feel like when I'm there with a person or with a family member of someone who's uh, close to death, it's like, it's a, it's a giving that's, that's flowing out of me. Um, yeah, I feel, I feel really um, positive about it. You know, it's also true, every new patient, I just take one client on at a time. And so I might have them for a week or a few months. And every time I meet a new patient, I'm nervous again because it's a different situation with each person. And, and maybe it's just my uh, personal worry that I'm not going to be able to be helpful. Um, but I'm always nervous until I start to talk with them and meet them and then see what it is they're going through and what they need, if, if anything. That's interesting. Because as you're saying that, um, I'm thinking about my experience in the hospice that I volunteer at. There are 20 residents at any given time. And so I could interact with a, a number of them or even all of them in the day that I'm there and their families. But there's that place of stepping into the room of a, a new resident and just being like completely attuned to what am I stepping into here? Because it's a big, big unknown. I don't know right. what's going to arise. And it's certainly the first time that person has ever experienced this. Yeah. You're having to find out what this person's needs are. Yeah. I also find, uh, you know, I, I went into hospice work originally, kind of from this uh, perspective, which is maybe originally I heard it first as a Buddhist perspective, that it serves us well to keep death close. I mean, in this society, we tend to push it away. People that are old, infirm, disabled are, you know, we just want them away. We want to see commercials of beautiful people playing volleyball and smiling on the beach, probably drinking the beer that they're selling, you know, in that commercial. <laughs> that, that's kind of how our society wants to treat death, keep it very much, very frightened of it. And so yes. by being able to bring it close, um, I thought it would benefit me and it has. But what I notice almost never does a patient really talk to me about sort of philosophical, large, abstract, metaphysical issues. They're much more just worried about their pain or their family members, just very um, much concerns of this world. Do you have every, similar? Yeah. Well, every once in a while, there's, there's a resident that will want to talk on a deeper level, but it, it takes time. So the people that are just there for a very short time, that doesn't happen. But occasionally we've had people that are there for quite a while and really get to know them. And, and with those people, we get to have the conversations, the kind of conversations that Ram Das talked about having with people, where you actually get to, to almost to see inside someone's soul, that they, they allow you. Uh, and, and, and it's such a gift. Yes, absolutely. That sounds wonderful. And I think it think it there's a relationship building period trust building that has to happen at first. And then if someone, you know, we as the volunteer are there to serve whatever the person needs, see what see what can arise. We're not asking for that, but we're available for that if that's what the person wants. And if they're ready for it. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just a little companionship. Sometimes it's just giving a break to the caregiver who needs to get out and get to the grocery store. That's for sure, because there's some very, very worn out caregivers 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. But the, um, and, but just even connecting this to COVID, you know, what you were saying about us moving the elderly out of sight is like all of the homes that they've been in uh, and isolated and not being able to, to connect with family and friends. Have you continued to do hospice visits during the COVID season? Because I may have made the choice for the last year not to go into homes and facilities because uh, just of the different complications. Yeah, no, the facilities uh, won't allow it right now. Okay. It's, I, I think it just is too difficult. It's one more thing for them to have to manage. So I've just right. been able to do support things for like for bereavement services to help them keep being able to do their work. Right. I have not had that either. And of course, that's complicated for the people running the program. Um, it's just one more cost of all of this pandemic to the people that are further isolated. Yeah. And it's definitely removed that, that connection that we were talking about earlier from right. their lives. Right. Yeah. And so they're much more isolated at the end of life. Well, you know, another thing uh, I was going to ask you about is some about, so you're a retirement coach. Yes. So it makes perfect sense that you're working well also in an area like hospice because you deal more and more with, with people aging and in the later parts of their life. Uh, what sorts of spiritual intelligence, either skills or aspects uh, show up or have you found useful in that work? Yeah. Well, the, one of the things that's quite fascinating about it is that there's so many people that so look forward to retirement and then they get there and it might be a year and it might be two years and then they're going, well, this isn't quite what I expected. And so working with them with the development of uh, spiritual capacities has been quite important because it's, there's so many people that I've run across that have almost avoided that through their lives. Like it's, it's never touched them or called to them. And so helping them uh, start to develop that sense of meaning and purpose that was so tied up in their work lives or so tied up in having a family. And now that isn't so available to them and having to find a way to figure out what is that in my life? What really matters to me? And, um, and ha actually having to put some effort into it. So you're able to give them sort of an active way to grapple with that. A lot of people when they retire, just sort of like walk out of the job and then into what, you know, you, and, and the business, I'm sorry, the busyness of the work world keeps people active and raising children, paying the mortgage, getting to the, you know, PTA committee and so on. But then when they're at that transition point, it sounds like you're able to give them some ways to think about that in a more active way. Yeah. And the other thing, uh, like I was saying, is that people so look forward to it. And it's kind of just looking at the light side of it is to actually bring up the darker aspects uh, so to, to look at some of the statistics around um, isolation and loneliness and uh, substance abuse, depression, and that sort of thing, and making helping people be aware 
that they need to do some of this development for themselves to avoid that, that, you know, falling into that sort of lifestyle and not being happy with their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like it's almost a second uh, midlife transition, or maybe from some people, just the first time they've really had the chance to stop and think about those questions. Yeah. Like, cause I think there's a lot of transitions that we go through that we kind of just do what, what we think we're supposed to do. And so in this, trying to encourage people that, it, that this is about your life. And then this, in this sort of, we've referred to it as the third chapter is this transition to this third chapter is how about let's actually really look at it and figure out what matters to you and what you want and, and have you live your life, not the life that everybody else has expected you to live. Do you use frameworks or language like spiritual intelligence? Yes. Yeah. And then again, like we were talking about with hospice is like that meeting an individual and having to figure out sort of where they're at and what they need and how we're going to be with them. Mm -hmm. And so working with people that are looking at retirement, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, so where are you right now? Mm -hmm. And um, and sort of what, what can be offered up here? What are you ready for? You know, is because like to try to stretch it too far, too fast. We just scare people. Yeah. Do you use assessments? Uh, we use a few assessments. Um, uh, but definitely there's, there's looking at uh, domains of life and having people look at uh, what matters to them in their life right now and how they perceive that's gonna be. Like, like once they don't have the support systems that, that are existing right now, certainly looking at values. And that's, I mean, which totally connects to the SQ, which is where I love, I love the, the prior to prioritizing of the values. Because people say, yes, I know my values and they go I find out they really don't. And then, then having them prioritize them is such an eye opener. Yes. You know, if you show someone a list of values, they're always all positive. Yeah. You know, there's nothing on there that says like, be greedy. Yeah. I pick that as a value. You know, they're all positive things. And yet to get someone to have to say, cause, cause to your point about people say, oh yeah, I know my values. I think everybody wants to be good. However, they define that they want to see themselves as a moral person. Um, and yet giving them an assessment or talking them through a prioritization has them put some detail to it that was probably there, but they were unclear about. That's how I think assessments or even just having you coming in as a consultant and being a second pair of eyes, asking probing questions, it gives someone something to bounce off of. You know, it, they're, each assessment or each question from you is a different type of mirror that reflects some further clarification back to the person. That's what's useful about them. And to your point, there's like, it's sort of all the, the sort of the good stuff is there's, there's an ability in there to sort of play with the, so when you can't really be that way, you know, sort of when you, when your darker side shows up, what's that like? And, and allowing them to recognize that that's all part of life too. You know, that we're, that's we're, interesting. Yeah. That's like a permission because these dark sides, either feeling isolation or fear, 
about what you're going to do. Apprehension, nervousness, all of those, they're to be expected in this. So there's a permission that, hey, this is not, uh, you're not bad or not adhering to your values because these things are coming up. This is normal. Yeah. And that really shows up with some people who are retired and it isn't going the way that they anticipated. Mm. Or, and it also, sh- because there's shame oh. around that. Sure. They have an idealized version of what it's going to be like. And then all of a sudden this other stuff comes up and then they feel like, am I not doing it right? What's wrong with me? Yeah. Or if they perceive mm. they aren't doing it as well as their peers. And there's, so there's still a keeping up with the Joneses going on, you know, um, that maybe they don't have as much income and they can't afford to, to do some of the things that some of their friends can do. And they're ashamed of that too, which is mm. a hard, hard place to be. So all these different places that either volunteer work, service work, professional work, that we can see how the many different ways that spiritual intelligence can help us help other people through whatever challenges they've got. Yeah. This is all just fascinating stuff. And like you said earlier, it's like this, the beauty of when we help them is how much we gain oh, from it. Yeah. 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 I think I have a list of little different quotes and spiritual laws and stuff. And there's this, I think one of them is by St. Francis of Assisi. Um, it is better to love than to be loved. Um, think about it. Is that true? Well, for me, I think it kind of is it's like when I'm giving love that feels so much more higher self-connected versus no, no, give me, give me. I, I got to make sure that I'm loved, which really so much of my, which I'm very subject to it, but that ego self is doing that to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But isn't it interesting is like in that the, the difference between like the neediness and saying, I need this love and then just the giving up and then it comes back at you. We feel it. Yeah. Sometimes from the other person or sometimes just it is the love is just there in the air. We feel it. We are receiving it. Yeah. Well, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, which I so thank you for very fun, very um, interesting, fascinating. Let me ask you this. If you had kind of a closing, like an assignment, something to give the people listening to this, what's a thought you have about, um, something you would have them think about or take away or, or homework. That's it. We're going to give them spiritual homework to consider. Give them spiritual homework. Well, you know, there's a lot coming up about compassion and I'm thinking about how self-compassion seems to be one of the hardest ones to, to manage. So how about a, a very simple exercise to com- to create compassion would be a, uh, a listening relationship. And this isn't a, it isn't a difficult practice, but it would just be to find somebody that you could share uh, with uh, and have you listen to them and they listen to you, but be two simple questions that you would each answer. And one would be what's, what's being very difficult for you today and then just listening to that answer and not having to have a solution and to ask each other that question. And when you're done that, then to ask, what's something you're grateful for today? But then to 
to walk away from having expressed what's difficult, but brought in what you're grateful for, than then to move into the rest of your day. And in that listening to each other, that witnessing is a gift. Just that having somebody else that will listen. Um, that is really wonderful. So many exercises are great exercises of individual reflection that help, but the relational aspect you have of, hey, share these two questions with a partner, a friend, someone, and then just uh, rest with that. What a beautiful gift. Yeah, and not a hard one. It's not hard. This is a couple minutes it would take and it would probably set the day in a very good course. Yeah. Well, Lois, thank you so much for being part of this. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you being in the conversation. Yeah. It was very, very enjoyable. Good. Take care. Goodbye all to all of our listeners. We'll see you at the next podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.